How many of you all grew up in a neighborhood where you spent most of your time outside with other kids, and then when it was time for dinner, someone rang a bell or stood on the porch and whistled or yelled your name? Anybody? I feel like when I come here to church and I, I say hi to people and I come and I sit down front, when the praise team starts singing, it's like the dinner bell and the church fills up. I turn around, there's like all these people here that weren't here when I walked down front. Praise the Lord for that. I'm glad you all showed up when the bell was rung today. And we're going to talk a little bit more today about who Jesus is and, and, and try to discover that not only in a, in a kind of intellectual sense, but really try to answer that question for ourselves. Would you join me in a word of prayer? <coughs> Father, we thank you and praise you for your Son, our Savior, Jesus. Many of us in here, Lord, we know about him. Some of us know him personally, but all of us need to know him more. And I pray this morning that as we have walked in here with so many things upon our hearts and so many different circumstances in our life that we will come before you today very vulnerable and very humble and allow you to speak to us and to work in us and work on us and work through us that when we leave here today we would know you more and we would become more of who you have called us to be and it's in Jesus holy and precious name we pray amen <clears throat> take a look at this picture for just a minute that is the face of someone who has accomplished something and now if there's anybody ever asking these two words in a question it is this, it is now what, right? Now what? And I would imagine that probably many of you are in here who have asked that question at, at some point in your life, you've received some sort of diagnosis at the doctor, and in your heart of hearts you've just gone, now what? You, you've received some kind of word from, from your spouse that, that this marriage is, is not good, or, or maybe you're in the midst of a divorce and you're starting over in your life and you just in reflection keep asking yourself, now what? Maybe as a church you have a pastor that's well loved that leaves and now you're trying to figure out who does God want us to have here and where are we going to go in the future? And so many of you may be out there saying, now what? Maybe you just walked in here today and your life is in a shambles and, and you're just not sure exactly where God wants you to go or what's coming next and, and you're just asking that question, now what? Well, what I want you to understand might be illustrated in this story of, of a pastor that I heard years ago and this pastor would always preach these sermons about how God works in miraculous ways. And, and yet sometimes he would even doubt that God really did that. Even as he was preaching, he would think, you know, I really haven't seen God do that a lot lately and and so one day he's walking by his uh, out of his house and he looks up in a tree in his front yard and sees this little kitten that's stranded up in the tree and it's a small tree too small for him to climb but the kitten's too high up for him to reach and and so he decides i, I need to bend the tree down and, and get the kitten out and so he goes in and he's you know incredibly good with things like this like most pastors are ha 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 and he gets a rope out of the garage and he ties it to the tree and he ties it to his car and he begins to back the car up to bend the tree down to get the kitten. He gets it almost to where he thinks he can reach the kitten and the rope breaks. And the tree goes boing and the kitten disappears out of sight. Pastor feels horrible and he's 
He's going all over the neighborhood. He's trying to find this kitten. He cannot find the kitten. He goes home and he just tries to forget the whole situation. And a couple days later, he's in a grocery store and he sees this dear lady from the church that he knows is a, is a known hat cater, a cat hater. And, and, and yet she's got this big bag of cat food and some other toys in her cart. And he says, what in the world? And she says, you won't believe it, preacher. You, there's no way you'll believe this story. Said, so my daughter wanted a cat. And I kept telling her, we're not getting a cat. I can't stand cats. We're not getting a cat. I can't stand cats. Said she just wouldn't let up. And she kept saying, Mom, I want a cat. I want a cat. So finally I said to her, Honey, look, if God gives you a cat, you can have a cat. Right? And it said she walked out, preacher. You won't believe this. She walked out in the yard. And I watched her kneel down in the front yard and begin to pray for a cat. And out of nowhere, this kitten comes flying into the yard. All four feet, lands in front of her. And she says, so, we now have a cat, right? Now, I say all of that, you say, what in the world has that got to do with the sermon today? It's like this. Every one of you, and myself included, we come in this season and we've got things going on in our life and, and we bring circumstances to God. And you know what? My guess is, is that many of you, like myself, sometimes really don't believe God's going to show up. You really don't believe that God's going to intervene in your life in the midst of that marriage that's crumbling. You don't believe he's really going to be able to help you get through that illness. You don't really believe he's going to be able to give you direction for where you are. And yet then he shows up like the cat out of the middle of nowhere. And we have to say what? Now what? Now what? God has intervened this situation. Now what am I going to do? And it really is our question for today. As we look at the Easter story, we've sung it in the words today that heaven came down, that Jesus came to us, that in the midst of all of our trials, in the midst of all of our questions, Jesus presented himself before us and we asked that question, now what? Well, if you've been here for the last several weeks, you know that we've been discovering some of the characteristics of Jesus and learning a little bit about who he is on the basis of some scenes that are leading up in his last days to the crucifixion and the resurrection, which we're getting very close to celebrating on Easter Sunday. And the first scene we looked at was that scene in the upper room where, where we learned that, that his love is offered to us right now, that he indeed is the very essence of real life, that he is abundant life, that he is eternal life, that he is all that we need for everything that we face. And, and we saw this because the title, the bread of life, is used for him. And then we observed as we move forward to the Garden of Gethsemane and learned that nothing would deter him from going to the cross for us because he loved us that much, that nothing still deters him, that he still loves us with that same amount of love every day. We learned that he's the son of man who, who identifies with our sufferings and our pain. Last week, we finished the garden scene where Jesus is betrayed by virtually everybody that was close to him. Everyone who was involved in his life betrayed him. And we saw that in the midst of that betrayal, he still loved and he still forgave and he still went to the cross for them. And we saw the awesome power of his divinity in the title, the Son of God. And now today, we're going to move through all of the awful agony, the whipping and the spitting and the crown of thorns. And we're going to move to the cross today. And what we're going to see is that not only is he the bread of life, not only is he the son of man, not only is he the son of God, 
But our Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Move with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 23, verses 32 through 43. And let's take a look at this scene that we're looking at today. It tells us two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today, <clears throat> excuse me, today you will be with me in paradise. Now today we begin to look at this characteristic of Jesus, this, this deep heart of Jesus that, that shows us that he is the king that we know he is. Beyond the mocking that he is the king, beyond even the understanding of the people who are participating in this scene today, he so, shows us very clearly that he is Jesus, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. If you want to see more scripture on this, if you go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 13 through 16, we get these words from Paul to Timothy. It says this, in the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to be him be honor and might forever. Amen. In Revelation 17, 14, they will make war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Now, now, now what you need to understand is that in all of these scriptures and in what I'm sharing with you today, I'm not saying to you that we look forward to the day when Jesus will be King of kings and Lord of lords. I'm not saying to you that Jesus could be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm not saying to you that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords for all of you who haven't acknowledged it out there today. What I'm saying to you is absolutely factual. Listen to it. There is no doubt, no ambiguity anywhere. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, now here's the deal. You know, if I would pull a dollar out of my pocket, which I'm not going to do because I don't have a dollar in my pocket this morning, and I would say to you, look, I have a dollar. Some of you out there could say, I don't believe you. And it wouldn't matter how many of you said you don't believe me. I still would have pulled a dollar out of my pocket. You could come up with every reason. You're tricking us. It's not a dollar. Maybe it's $5. Maybe it's $10. More than likely, if I had it, it would be a dollar, right? But the fact is, just because you don't believe it doesn't change the fact that I'm standing here holding a dollar. 
Now, now here's the thing. When, when we hear about people coming to Jesus Christ, for years and years and years in our tradition, I would hear people say, praise the Lord, today I made Jesus Lord of my life. Today I, I, I made him Lord. It's like you don't ever make Jesus Lord. You acknowledge the fact of the truth that there already is out there. He is Lord. And as a result of you doing it in your life, you get to experience the benefit. Here's the deal. If he is the king and you live in his kingdom, you can say all you want, he's not my king. But the fact is, if you live in his kingdom, he is the king. Here's the only difference. You can choose to serve him or you can choose to rebel against him. And if you say he is not my king, then you're openly rebelling against him, which is your choice to not enjoy the benefits of what it means to serve him. I hear people all the time saying, you know, a just God would not send anybody to hell. I agree with you. A just God would not send anybody to hell. That's why the just God loved us so much to send his son down here to be able to show to us, look, I'm the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm also the son of God, the son of man. I'm also the bread of life for you. And there is no reason for any of you to have to make that choice to rebel against me anymore. If you would just acknowledge the truth of the matter... And that is Jesus is King of Kings and Jesus is Lord of Lords. You can enjoy the benefits of what it means to live in that truth. Now some of you out there in the midst of what now need to just understand this little piece. Stop, as Paul was told, kicking against the goads. Stop refusing the only one who can really help. Stop turning your back on the one that loves you more than you can ever understand, more than anybody else ever has been in your life, who went to the cross for you and was resurrected for you, now what? Jesus stands in front of you and says, let me show you now what. But if you don't acknowledge him, and you don't follow him, and you're not obedient to him, you will not receive the benefits of being in a relationship with him. When we come to Christ we simply acknowledge the truth and then we live in the realization of that truth that Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In John 14, 5, Jesus answers the question like this, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you look back at Luke 23, 43, when the thieves are on the cross, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. This thief realized who Jesus was amongst all the others who were making fun of him, all the others who were using his name in vain and who were mocking him, who were mocking him, calling him the king of the Jews, not understanding that he really was the king of everybody. And yet this thief in the midst of all of that realized and acknowledged the truth and in faith and belief depended upon Jesus. What does it mean for you to be saved? It's not a magic prayer that you pray it is an acknowledgement in your life that he is Lord and he is king think about that for just a minute what was last week like in your life was he Lord of your life last week was he king of your decisions last week was he Lord of your attitude last week was he king of your actions last week does he have your heart? Now, now, here's what we learn about the king of kings, okay? 
just to help, help you with this now what question. First of all, Jesus is the only one who has the ability to forgive you of your sins. Now what we've been seeing so far in all these titles and all of these scenes is that Jesus loves us. And, and that Jesus wants to forgive us. And that Jesus wants to make things better for us. Jesus wants us to be with him. Jesus wants us to be in relationship with him. And we learn all of this, and it's out of the heart of Jesus that we really see the love of Christ. But it is in this whole idea that he is king of kings and lord of lords that we see not only does he want to do this for you, but he is the only one in all of the world who has the ability to do this for you. Nobody else can forgive you of your sins. Nobody else can rescue you from yourself. Nobody else can answer all of those problems that you face and give you that strength and that peace and that hope that he can give. It comes only from him. He has the heart to do it, and he also has the ability to do it. you got a lot of people in your life that love you. How many of you have ever stood beside a loved one and wanted so much to be able to do something, but you were incredibly powerless? I wish I could heal you but I can't. I wish I could even convince you how much I love you, but for some reason, through what we've been through, you won't believe me. I wish, I wish, I wish, I would do anything because I have such a desire to love you this much, but I just don't have the power and the ability, and yet we have a king, and we have a Lord who says, look, I love you enough to forgive you of that sinful life you've lived. I love you enough to take you to be with me for eternity in heaven. I love you enough to give you an abundant life right here and now with peace and joy and hope in the midst of all the junk you got to deal with. I love you enough that I want to walk with you through it all. And guess what? I can do it because I'm the King of Kings and I'm the Lord of Lords. No matter who tells you he can, he can. No matter how much you doubt, he can, can, he, he, he will. Because he is the one who knows how to do it. Y'all remember those Holiday Inn Express commercials? Remember those? I love those. The guy's in there in the operating room. He's got all the garb on. And the woman says, are you a surgeon? He says, no, but I stayed in Holiday Inn Express last night, right? I'm acting like I'm a surgeon. Let me tell you something. If you're here today with a what now question, there are all kinds of people in your life that slept at a Holiday Inn Express last night. They know what you need to do. They'll give you some awesome advice, whether you want it or not. They'll tell you, this is how you fix your problem. There's all kinds of books out there that'll tell you, this is how you fix your problem. There's all kinds of TV programs that'll answer the question, now what? But none of them have the ability to look deep into your life and your heart and your soul and who love you more than you'll ever understand and who have the ability to answer that question, now what? That's what the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords brings to us today. That's what the King of Kings and Lord of Lords brought to that thief on the cross when he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. There's nobody else who cared enough for that thief to go to paradise, and there's nobody else who had the ability to take that thief to paradise except Jesus Christ, and he's the same Jesus that loves you and I today. In Romans 3, 21 through 26, we read these words. But in our time, something new has been added. What Moses and the prophets witnessed all those years has happened. The God setting things right that we read about has become Jesus setting things right for us. And not only for us, but for everyone who believes in him. 
For there is no difference between us and them in this since we've compiled this long and sorry records of sinners, both us and them, and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us. God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself, a pure gift. He got us out of the mess we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be, and he did it by means of Jesus Christ. God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world to clear that world of sin. Having faith in him sets us in the clear. God decided on this course of action in full view of the public to set the world in the clear with himself through the sacrifice of Jesus, finally taking care of the sins he had so patiently endured. This is not only clear, but it's now. This is current history. God sets things right, and he also makes it possible for us to live in his rightness. Now, if you're out there and you're saved today, this paraphrase from the message, the way it says it, basically says it like this. When you received and acknowledged God as Savior of your life and as Lord of your life, what happens is he made things right with you. Now, now what happens so often in the church is, is we kind of act like all we want is for people to get saved. And I believe in getting saved, and I believe there is a point in time in our life where we make that choice to surrender ourselves to Christ and acknowledge who he is, confess our sins, and allow him to forgive us. But how absolutely insane is it that for so many of us, we're okay with people just allowing God to make it right, and then they're like, see you later, God. I'm going to go do my own life over here. That's not why God makes it right with you. If you're here today and you're asking now what, it may be that somewhere in your life God made it right with you and you decided that's all you needed. Thank you very much, God. I'll see you at the next crisis when you can make it right again. And oh God, here I am. Now what? Fix this thing for me. And then you run somewhere else and live your own life until the next crisis. That is not what God wants and that is not what it means to serve the king. We don't just serve the king when we get ourselves in trouble. We serve the king because he's king every single day. He is Lord of the good times and Lord of the bad times. I quoted from that book on Christian last week and, and uh, Kenneman says in that book as well that what the world sees in so many of us evangelicals is this, we have convinced people that we are only interested in their quote unquote getting saved. Well, let me tell you something. That's not what God's interested in. God's interested in a relationship with him that has a beginning, but that grows every single day and is experienced in its fullness in eternity when we leave this world. And shame on us when we act like we don't care what happens once you make that decision. Shame on us when we don't act like we care about helping you walk that walk every single day. Well, knowing all this brings us to this great crossroad, what now? In this scene, the thieves, or the thief that, that has that question before him, the disciples have that question before them, the Jewish leaders have that question before them, the Roman soldiers who proclaimed all this have that question before them, but out of all of them there is one thief that made the right choice. There is one thief out of all that group of people who, when asked the question, what now, 
turned to Jesus and said, Remember me. Think about those words, remember me. Whatever you're facing today, you got all kinds of things you want, right? I want this marriage to be what it used to be. I want this illness to go away. I want my mom to be healed. I want this, I want that. And I understand that because I'm a human. I've walked in a lot of those places and I know what I ask God for specifically. But here's the thing. What faith is there in those two words? Remember me. You know what, God? You're the king. God, you're the Lord of lords. I've messed things up. Here I am hanging on this cross, and I'm not going to waste your time and my energy on my excuses. Here's the thing. Remember me. I need you. What now? Well, I'm this thief. <laughs> You're the Lord of Lord. You're the King of Kings. What now is whatever you want. What now is take me to be with you. What now is, Lord, I belong to you. Jesus loves you enough to set things right with you. For those of you who are saved, he did that at one point in your life. Maybe you're asking what now this morning, and he's still offering the same answer. Let me make things right. may not turn out exactly like you want it to turn out. It may be painful. It may get a little messy. But he still says, I'll make it right. I'll make it right. But we just have to cry out, remember me. Would you join me in a word of prayer?